Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Good to be back. I want to continue to encourage you that uh, we are here to celebrate what God has done. And so we're going to continue that celebration by having lunch together afterwards. And everyone is invited. If you're visiting, you haven't been here for a while, and you feel like, hey, it's a private holy club, no thank you. (laughs) We want everyone to come and be a part of this. So please plan to join us right after the service in the fellowship hall right down there with some great food and, and good friendship as well. Yeah, I couldn't help but think, I wonder what it was like 176 years ago. <laughs> Did they say some of the stuff we said? Did they sing some of the songs we sang? What was it like uh, for this church? And as Casey reminded you last week, a good preaching of the word of God is expositional. That means they exegete, they explain the verses of the Bible. It's not just somebody's thoughts or fancy or an idea. And especially as you go through a book like Second Timothy, which is what Casey has been doing. But also in the, in the history of the church, there are sermons of occasion. <laughs> that means there are times, whether in the country or in the history of a church, it's time to pause. We do that at Christmas, the Advent season. There are occasions, sermons focused. This morning is one of those, isn't it? And the occasion is God's faithfulness to Third Reformed Presbyterian Church. Not for five years, not for 10 years, for 176 years. Praise God. You know, think about it. From from the startup group on Front Street somewhere in Philadelphia to renting a hall to owning a building. (laughs) Look what the Lord has done. A heritage of faithful followers of Christ and ministers who preach the word of God in season and out of season. Yes, we don't live in the past, but we don't forget it, do we? Thank God for the fact that you and I are part of a heritage. Even though Bever and I were only here for a few years, we are so grateful. We can say, hey, we were a part of Third Reform. What a wonderful thing. So why, why is it still after all these years, why are we still here? There are many significant reasons, aren't there? And, and underlying them all is the simple yet profound truth that you and I just repeated many times over. Why are we here? Because his steadfast love endures forever. <laughs> That's the only reason you're here. That's the only reason I'm here. The steadfast love of God. That's a major biblical theme from Genesis to Revelation. The the, the steadfast love of the Lord, and it finds its culmination in the death and resurrection of Jesus. His love truly is a love that endures forever, and especially for those who trust in him. And, And I just want to remind you, and take this rightfully here, friends, We are here to celebrate not primarily Third Reformed Presbyterian Church, but the king of this church, Jesus himself. We are celebrating him. Yes, there are wonderful stories of of the families who made up this wonderful fellowship and leaders who led well, but it was all because of the good news of the gospel. It really is all about Jesus, turn your eyes upon Jesus. So with that in mind, I want us for our passage and our backdrop to look at Lamentations, 
the book of Lamentations, written by Jeremiah, chapter 3. We're going to look at just a few verses here uh, in the middle of that. Some of it you are familiar with, but hear again God's word, verses 20 through 26 of Jeremiah, chapter 3, found on page 688 of your pew Bibles. Hear now the living, inerrant word of God. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Well, you might be asking, some of you who are familiar with the Bible and the word of God, why are we using the book of Lamentations? (laughs) To celebrate God's faithfulness. It's filled, that book, if you're familiar with it, it's filled with sorrow and weeping. Jeremiah, who's the author here, knew what was about to happen to the people of God. God's judgment was coming on his people and they, they would be crushed and scattered because of their sin. And Jeremiah himself, if you're, he himself was persecuted by his own people. They didn't like what he was saying. Shut up, Jeremiah. We don't like what you're saying. We don't want to hear this. And they would even injure him physically and verbally as he brought message after message of God's warning and impending doom and judgment. Think about it. As a prophet of God, as a leader for his people, he was only doing what the Lord called him to do, and look what it got him. I can't imagine being a minister and having a congregation constantly saying, would you just stop? (laughs) We're tired of hearing what you, well, maybe I could if you know me, yeah. (laughs) But why would that, that would affect you, wouldn't it? Year after year of ministry, if you're just doing what God calls you. So what we have here, indeed, is a sad and a desperate situation. But I think as we're going to see in this passage, there's still a hopeful reality That comes not from himself, but from the promises of God. What kept him going is what keeps us going. It's that steadfast love of the Lord that never ceases, no matter what. Many things to think about, but keep this in the mind and your background as you think about this passage. You know, the only hope for for any church, and for any Christian for that matter, is not our efforts or even our faithfulness, but it's the faithfulness of God. What really matters is not how hard you're working at it, or even how faithful you are. What matters is God is faithful and loves you. So I want to look at Jeremiah more as an object lesson for you and I as we reflect on our past, as we anticipate this future. How is Jeremiah an object lesson? lesson for us well think about it right up front 
Jeremiah knew what he was talking about, didn't he? It's much easier, isn't it, to listen and to learn from someone who has been through it, right? Who's been in the trenches, who knows what they're talking about. I want to listen to a person like that. I want to learn from someone like that. If you know anything about Jeremiah, he was called by God at an early age to be set apart as a prophet, a spokesperson for God. And his primary and almost exclusive calling was to bring God's message to the people of God. In other words, the church at that time, the called out people of Jehovah, this is for you from God. He has called me to speak his word to you. And if you know anything about your Bible and the history of the Bible here, you know that the nation of Israel sadly became divided. And there were two kingdoms. This wonderful nation that was united under God's lordship was divided. The northern kingdom, Israel, and the southern kingdom, Judah. This division, I would suggest, was more about politics and power than the honor of God. And subsequently, God sent his prophets to warn them, come back, stop what you're doing, come back, or I will have to judge you. Now, Isaiah, if you know, was sent to that northern kingdom, and he sadly saw the fall and destruction of that northern kingdom. Now, Jeremiah was bringing a similar message and seeing a similar result, the downfall of Judah He spent almost 40 years of his life bringing this message to his people, but seemingly to no good end. Jeremiah, what kept you going? (laughs) Think about it, friends. The burden of seeing what sin had done to God's people and how they lacked true repentance. It gave him the title. You know the title, what they called Jeremiah? The Weeping. The weeping prophet. That means this grown man cried a lot. He wept over these people. He lamented daily over the lack of holiness and disregard for the things of God. He was overwhelmed. Here's how one commentator describes Jeremiah. He says this quote, that this He was a weeping prophet, so he's commonly called, not only because he wrote the book of Lamentations, but because he was all along a mournful spectator of the sins of his people and the desolating judgments that were coming upon them. Oh, friends, stop and think about it. Faithful leaders of God's people, they're not only the ones who teach well and lead well, they're the ones who weep well. A good leader leads well, teaches well, but weeps well. They feel and they see the brokenness of sin and its destructive powers. Whether it's watching a marriage fall apart from two professing Christians or a young person making a choice that leads to dark consequences. Yes, we need to oversee and even discipline, but we also need to mourn, weep. 
I still remember after I was ordained in my first pastoral ministry in Maryland, serving with other pastors and, and elders. I still remember in my ministry, fellow pastors, we were meeting together and we were talking about how to address sin that had affected a family or a life that we saw. I was affected by this. These men didn't come together and start saying, all right, how are we going to fix this? Who's going to straighten that person out? Who's going to shut them down and bring them back to where they should be? Let's bring the hammer down. It wasn't that. These men had a unified sense of mourning. You almost could hear them saying in unison, Lord, have mercy. And I saw grown men, ministers, tear up and cry for what they saw happening in the lives of God's people. Sin kills. A leader should feel that. Third reform, think about it. Your history. You have had a history of men who have truly loved you. They have led you. And they have wept over you. I know that. A true prophet of God is one who indeed warns and calls God's people to repentance. But he also loves them. And bears their pain as well. So with that in mind, let's see how Jeremiah, this leader, had hope in the midst of all of this. And how that not only sustained him, but how God would be honored because of that. These verses that we're looking at, I think they're a beautiful picture of light in the midst of darkness. Wasn't it interesting? This whole book is filled with mourning and darkness and pain. Boom, here's a light. A guy who has seen it all, wept over it, still has hope. Jeremiah was not simply a pessimistic prophet who only proclaimed doom. His hope was never in his own understanding or his abilities. His hope was in the word of God. What does God say? Not what do I say and others around me. As we celebrate again God's faithfulness to this church for 176 years, I want to suggest to you that this section we just read, here we have the reasons why and how God has been true to his word for all of you for all these years. How has that worked? How has God been true and faithful to you as a church? And we're going to do that briefly by looking at using the alliteration. If you see in your outline in your bulletin, we're going to look at what he calls us. He calls us to remember our past and then to rely on his promises. And finally, to rest in the Lord. So let's use that as a picture of how we have been blessed and how we will continue to be blessed by Almighty God. And the first thing we see in this passage in Jeremiah is he's stopping to remember the past. These first two verses are a window, I think, into the heart of the prophet. If you look again at those passages, John Calvin puts it this way when he looks at this verse and these verses rather regarding what Jeremiah was feeling. He says this, quote, but he, Jeremiah, who is conscious of his own infirmity, and directs his prayer to God, 
will at length find a ground of hope. Well, let me suggest to you to have a biblical mindset of remembrance. That involves two things. If you want to have a true understanding of how do we remember and, and as Christians biblically, I think the first thing he's implying here, and if you look at verse, verses, uh, the previous verses, 18 through 20, he's remembering not the good old days. The first thing is to be mindful of the sinfulness of sin. What's causing him to write this book? He's seen. He's seen it again and again, what sin does to people. That means to see just how present, how pervasive, and how dangerous it is in every season of life. Jeremiah knew the history of God's people. It was a highway riddled with broken lives and rebellion to the things of God. And I would suggest if he were here, he would honestly say that was true in my own life. He was not a perfect prophet, but he sinned himself in word and deed at times. That wrestling with sin is a perpetual thing for every follower of God. Paul himself in the New Testament, in the book of Romans, chapter 7, verse 21 He says this, whenever I want to do good, evil is right there with me. It's all the time. Where can I run to get away from evil? Nowhere. It's everywhere. I've got to constantly be mindful of its presence. Friends, we are sinners in need of a Savior. You cannot make it without Jesus. It's that critical. But a second part of this remembrance is what Calvin alludes to when he says, but a sense of our own infirmity, our problems, our own sin, when we are aware of that, that can even draw us closer to him. We need to be truly honest with ourselves, don't we, about our own condition and our struggle. But the call here is to remember not only how bad life has been in this sinful world, but how good God has been in the midst of it. I think Jeremiah sets us up in verse 21 when he says very clearly, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Jeremiah, are you kidding me? You've seen it. You've tasted it. What do you mean? I call this to mind. I have hope, not in myself or my people, but in my God. True biblical despair or brokenness can often lead to hope. It sounds weird, but friends, our hope for for any church or any Christian is not in our efforts or even our faithfulness, but in the faithfulness of God. Remember where he brought you from and how he did that. But Jeremiah now shows us what got him through all of life, and it's our second observation. Not only do we remember our past, but we need to rely on his promises, to rely on his promises. Look at those two verses, verses 22 and 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Rely on his promises. What has kept this church alive for all these 176 years, 
Has it been the wonderful pastors and families who have committed themselves to this body? Has it been the financial gifts given sacrificially over the years in good and hard times? Has it been the faithful prayers of the saints? And the list could go on, couldn't it? A lot of great things have come out of this church. Wonderful and honorable that all these and many other things are. We can never take credit, can we? We can't say, look what we've done. All we can say is the steadfast love of the Lord endures how long? Forever. What makes this church so special? You are special people, by the way. I love you. You're good people. (laughs) But it's not you. It's the steadfast love of Almighty God who's kept this church going, who have relied on him Jeremiah seemed to have a spirit-driven optimism, didn't he, about each day, no matter what he faced. No, he couldn't deny the reality of pain and sin, but he also could not deny the fact that God is merciful. Now, when you look at verse 23, commentators will suggest there's another way to interpret the phrase here. His mercies are new every morning. That can be interpreted is that they are not just new every morning, they are renewed every morning. (laughs) The same promises of the past are true today. When God said, I will never leave you or forsake you, that wasn't just for 176 years ago. It's for the next century. That promise is true every day of your life. How do we rely on that? You know, there are two quick things to consider when it comes to how do we rely on the promises of God? I think one's pretty obvious, isn't it? And is that you need to know those promises, don't you? How can I rely on something I don't really know? (laughs) It's hard to rely on something you don't really know or understand. That's why that message is so clear throughout the Bible, but no clearer than Psalm 119, verse 11. Your word have I hid in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. I've hid it. I've I've known it. I'm aware of it. It's, It's part of my DNA. Why? Because I want to honor God. I don't want to shame my Lord. I want to know him and honor him. Jeremiah had his mind and heart filled with reminders of God's character and promises. For example, look in the book that declares his name. We go on to chapter 29 of Jeremiah, verse 11. Listen to what he says. He says, for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans for your welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. My friends, we've got to know that and rely on it. But the other issue is not to simply know them, but to actually trust in these promises. To rely is to depend. When you say to somebody, I'm relying on you, (laughs) what are you saying? I'm counting on you to be true to your word. I'm trusting you. So to rely on God's promises is to actually trust them. Like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct 
your paths. Or how about the the promise from the lips of our Savior in Matthew 11? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. What's his promise? I'll give you rest. It's not just a token thing. That's a promise that Jesus said. I think we need to be a people who are hungry to know that. And just as a side note, think about this. Could could the reason that so many believers are seemingly weak today is because they don't know the promises. You know, if you look statistically, there's a sad reality of biblical illiteracy among many professing Christians. They don't really know the Bible. It's a good luck charm. It's something to go to, but they don't really know it. They're ignorant of the promises of God. Friends, the less we know and rely on his promises, the weaker we are. That's a fact. Where's the word of God? And are you resting and relying on that? But friends, please don't miss what the spirit of God did to Jeremiah when he remembered anew and relied on God's promises. Look again at verse 24. How can he say this? The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. It's dark, it's weary, it's dreary. But guess what? It's not about me. It's about a God who who said, my love will endure forever. Trust me, even when you can't see me, I am with you. That leads to our third and and final aspect or reason as to why this church is still here. I believe it's actually the culmination of the first two reasons. We remember our past. We rely on his word. And we have a renewed desire to rest in the Lord. When you get it, when you really get it, you just sit still, don't you? You rest. In these final verses, Jeremiah talks about the need to wait, doesn't he? That means stop moving or being active. Have you ever had this? Friends or or loved ones come to you at, at different times and they say to you, in essence, you need a rest. Anybody ever said that to you? Would you just sit down? Gosh, I can see it's written all over you. You need a rest. And they are often telling us exactly what we need to hear, aren't they? But it feels so counter to life. I I know I need to stop and rest, but I I can't. (laughs) That's particularly true when it comes to our walk with the Lord. Friends, the ultimate goal is to rest not only in his promises, but in his arms. (laughs) To rest in him, not in information about him, not in object promises, but in him. To be still, to feel as well as to know his love. To be still and know what? He is God. You mean I don't have to say anything? I don't have to do anything. (laughs) That's right. I think God is constantly saying to you and I as believers, would you just sit down? (laughs) 
Would you let me love you? Would you let me hold you? I can't catch up to you. You're running. Would you just come back and let me embrace you and let you know it's okay. It's done. Oh, to be convinced of his love and promises. Like Jeremiah, it can give us, if you get it, my brothers and sisters, if you get it, it can give you a spirit-driven confidence that no matter what we face, we can wait quietly and be like Paul in Romans 8 when he said he finally got it. If God is for me, who can be against me? That's not an arrogant in your face. It's, I feel the love of the sovereign God who died and rose again for me. Bring it on. I'm quiet. I don't have to open my mouth. My God has loved me with a steadfast love that endures forever. So, brothers and sisters, as we celebrate another year in the life of Third Reformed Presbyterian Church, <laughs> let's remember the one who established this church. It wasn't cute, little, wonderful, godly people. It was the Lord God Almighty who touched people's hearts, who wanted to come together. You know, Jeremiah, if you caught a glimpse of it, is what theologians call a type of Christ. It was kind of a picture of the life that Jesus lived, isn't it? Like Jeremiah, Jesus, if you know his story fully, Jesus came preaching judgment, but unlike Jeremiah, he came not only to declare God's wrath and mercy, he came to be God's wrath and mercy. No one else could do what he did. He hung on a cross, and the wrath of God was not talked about. It was administered. Everything that God wanted to bring to you, to judge you, to condemn you and me, it happened on his son's cross. I killed my son for you. Why? Because my steadfast love endures forever friends think about it our savior our final prophet hanging on a cross what was he doing he was remembering wasn't he why is this happening because i'm the lamb of god who came to take away the sin of the world that's why i'm hanging on this cross i'm remembering the sin that drove me here I don't deserve this, but I'm doing it for you, for my God and my Father to honor him. I'm remembering the sin that drove me to this cross. Oh, friends, keep in mind, hanging on that cross, he was also relying, relying on his Father's promises. Even in the midst of his agony, he was still trusting, wasn't he? It's dark, I can't see, I can't feel. But you have said, you have said, and I'm relying on those promises. But friends, hanging on that cross, 
He was finally resting, was he not? Resting, even in his final words, when he declared, Father, into your hands, what? I commit my spirit. And then he died. The last words out of his life, Father, Dad, I got nothing else but you. Here's my life. Done. Oh, brothers and sisters, friends, because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, the full love of God has come. His steadfast love endures forever. Great is his faithfulness. Amen and amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we delight in you. Because we know in ourselves we have nothing but in Christ. Oh, God, we have everything, everything we need. And we thank you that over 170 years ago, you touched people's hearts and lives in Philadelphia to say, let's come together for Jesus' sake. We need him. And look what you have done with this church. Lord God, with these brothers and sisters, be renewed even this day. That the God who began this good work has guaranteed he will continue it. And he will bring it to completion for Jesus' sake. Oh, renew our hearts' love for you. That we truly would remember, rely, and rest in our Savior. For we pray in his precious and holy name. Amen.